Welcome to the Boardroom Podcast, presented by the Political Action Committee, People for a Better DeSoto County, with your hosts, Chad and Ben. We hope to give you an informative look into local government by having a healthy discussion about city issues, interview a few friends, and have a little fun. Welcome into the Boardroom Podcast. I'm Ward 6 Alderman Ben Piper. And I'm Ward 4 Alderman Chad Wicker. We're coming to you from the Shelby Road Production Studios here in uh, the Caffey Place building in Hernando, just behind Windy City. It's our second show of July. It's a big one. We have uh, State Senator Chris McDaniel uh, joining us later on as our guest speaker. We had Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman on earlier this month, and now we have uh, his uh, opposition, Chris McDaniel. We're going to be asking him a lot of similar questions, uh, giving him a chance to answer some of the attacks that uh, the Hoseman campaign has has posted um, on him, uh, and giving him a chance to tell you a little bit more about himself, talk a little baseball. We talk a little little bit about everything. I I didn't realize he's a basketball player. A basketball player, you know, South Mississippi guy. So uh, we'll have that later on in the show. We'll have Chris McDaniel on, uh, Republican candidate for lieutenant governor. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about what's going on. What's going on here lately in Hernando here, Chad? Uh, right now, it's just hot. It is hot. And you got election signs on every corner of the street. So <laughs> Yeah, Republican primary is coming up on August the 8th. So uh, for those of y'all that are that are school's tired still, of seeing, tired of seeing back signs, up. yeah, school starts back up here who's, soon. Who's your kindergarten teacher? I don't know. I don't know yet. I don't know just yet. Uh, I guess we'll find out um, about a week or so. We'll have uh, popsicles in the park, I guess. Yeah, for, that's right. Um, you know, that stuff going on, and we'll have the open houses and all those things going on. And I have, I have been in contact in with uh, Miss Triplett at Hernando Elementary, and they're going to send uh, a kid each each meeting during the school year for the pledge. Um, so we'll oh, for the board meetings. Yeah, okay. So, so we'll have a kid from that. Uh, I think actually two kids from each class. I think it works out where the first graders are going to do the first semester and the kindergartners do the second semester, so they get they can get a little more mature. Yeah, that um, makes but, sense. But we'll have to, we'll have two kids at every board meeting uh, giving the pledge. So. I want to say the last when we went for a uh, we went for a tour of Hernando Elementary with my youngest, Miss Triplett was saying I think they're going to have sixteen classrooms of kindergartners, and for the first time in Hernando Elementary history, they'll have over eight hundred students. Wow. Um, at that school, 800 kids? At that kids? school, yeah. So, oh, you know, definitely busting at the seams, you know, d- just a, a sign of one. We, we have a great school district here. We have great teachers, um, all those things. But, you know, also just that we're we're facing unprecedented, you know, growth in, here in this county. And people want to yeah. be in Hernando. It's a great, you know, I know people feel like it's losing that small town feel sometimes. But, you know, I feel like we've tried to do everything we can to try to maintain that, to preserve the square, preserve, preserve some of the historic elements of the of the city. And yeah. well, I, th- I think um, Derek, them on his other podcast, uh, they had uh, the art, the sort of County Arts Council people, and they're talking about some of the, the stuff they do. I think, they, are they still doing the, the Friday night porch deal? Yeah, they, I think it's the first Friday of each month. They've got the, the, the back porch party. Yeah, yeah. Um, so first, first Friday in August, they'll have that coming up, and then they'll have hometown headliners coming up in uh, September, every Thursday in September, they'll have some yeah, yeah. some bands come up, kind of like Sunset on the Square. So, DeSoto Arts Council doing some good things. Do, do as they well. still call the football team the I 55 Roadblock? That's what we, when we were in school, that's what they called us. What for? Uh, the Hernando High School, we were the I 55 Roadblock. That's what they called them. They still uh, call them that because their game's going to, what I'm saying is their game's going to start here pretty in about, they, about they four will, weeks or so. Yeah, they will start up soon. I had not heard that before. You never heard the I 55 Roadblock? Man, we, heard we shut that. it down when we were, ready. We, we, we were good back in the day. I feel like the Hernando teams a lot. They they are very uh, defensive minded, run the ball. Well, we had Coach Jenkins, who, who's now the I think he's the athletic director for the county. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was our football coach, and then he was he was more of a defensive, you know, run the ball kind of coach. But we had some very good good talented people come through there, and um, I think a couple of people played NFL uh, from from those years I was there. So. I might have to see if we can get all Coach McCann to a new, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, fairly new, fairly new coach. Not a new coach, but he's he hadn't been here. Yeah, he's I think it's his second year, right? Yeah. So we need, let's see if we can get him on. Yeah, let's he, he would be a good good one to have. Coach on. McCann, if you're listening, reach out to us. Let's see if we can talk talk to a days. Sure. See if we can see if we can uh, relive Chad's glory days out there on the <laughs> well, ground. I, yeah, I didn't play very much. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what else going on, Ben? You I know, think that's about uh, it. So, uh, soccer season's about to get uh, started. So if, parents, if you're if you've got a soccer player, your coach should be reaching out to you any day now if they haven't yeah, already. I, I messed up, Ben. I forgot to register. Uh oh. But I got Michael Carson. He helped me up and got my boys registered, but I'm not going to be able to coach. He already had coaches for my age group. so Everybody will take a sigh of relief. They won't yeah. have to face the onslaught of the Wickers Warriors or whatever you named your team. 
so we'll have uh, we'll have soccer starting up here soon. I'll be I'll be coaching uh, both my girls this year, so that'll be exciting this fall um, to to take that on. Is that and, a sniff? Yeah, I've got. I don't know. I guess it's the allergies or something like that. It must be something July, blooming right man. now. I don't know what it, I don't know what it could be, but yes. Yeah, Do you want to give a uh, about your golf tournament coming up? Yeah. Uh, so. I'm sure people have heard of the crew of Hernando before, and I'm I'm one of the the members there and uh, in the crew of Hernando, and have been for for several years now. They but, call it the crew cabal, right? Y'all kind of just run stuff behind the scenes. Nah, I don't know about that. I think we just we're just trying to give back to the community. I don't know. We're, you know, it started as a you know from a Bible study group, and um, you know just just Christian men trying to give back to the community they live in yep, and okay. uh, in the community of Hernando. So we've got the uh, crew of Hernando has our tee off for teachers tournament coming up uh, July. 27th uh what this does the the money goes right back into the classroom so desoto county teachers can file for uh, teacher grants up to 500 dollars for you know special projects or you know let's say they they want everybody in the classroom to read a, a specific book and do a do a project on the book and you don't want the kids to have to or the parents to have to purchase all the books a grant could potentially cover it. You know, last year, uh, crew raised about seventeen thousand dollars with the with this tournament. And we're able to to fully fund every teacher grant uh, with the uh, Hernando schools. So, you know, definitely a great great tournament. You know, dozens of teacher grants were fulfilled uh, in Hernando schools, and um, so it's just a it's a it's a great tournament. It's a good time. It's going to be good, hot. Great calls. <laughs> it's going to be hot. It's out there at the Hernando Golf and Racket Club. Yeah, we appreciate a bunch of coach out there to drink, right? Yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta stay hydrated. You gotta have water first off. Water's the most important thing. Uh, but yeah, you gotta you gotta mix in a diet coke or soda water at some point. So, uh, but we'll have a good time out there. Uh, you know, looking forward to playing a little golf, having a good time. But yeah, let's talk about uh, City Hernando. We let's had talk our, about the board meeting. We had our board meeting um, in the boardroom. Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the highlights from it was the addition of another school resource officer. Uh, the city entered into an agreement to add another school resource officer through DeSoto County Schools. Yeah, all, all the high schools are getting a second school resource officer in the county. So that's right. So when Chad and I and the rest of the board took office in 2021, we had four school resource officers for the five Hernando campuses. Uh, we now have six school resource officers for our five campuses. Um, without any kind of tax increase or anything like that, the, the school district has provided uh, provides a portion of the salary, and the city has to provide um, the remainder of it. Uh, most of that coming in the form of equipment, insurance, but the payroll for the most part is covered by DeSoto County Schools. So it's, it's really an effort to make sure there's coverage for every school, additional coverage for you know what I would consider probably more activity that you would have at, at you know the the higher grades. Additionally, it'll provide six officers already in place for when the new high school opens. You would have one officer for every campus in 2025, and hopefully, we're able in 2025 yes, yes, to add right. one more school resource and, officer. And I, I think I think you don't uh, look too far ahead. Ch- Ch- I think the mayor, Chief Ellis, one of them said that uh, I think they're going to kind of have that that kind of he's going to float between the high school and the middle school. The uh, campuses the, are right there yeah, together. Cause, cause so, that sense. so that that would be a great and uh, unfortunately that's the world we live in where we have to worry about you know school safety so much and and uh, school shootings and things. And I think we have a great. Uh, police department they handle that very well they go through a lot of training we, i know they constantly go through the uh, school resource officer training and i think they're prepared if, if somebody uh, or something like that does happen i think we're in this county we're very well prepared to, to handle it and we have had those uh you know there's been there's been scares in DeSoto county like yeah. that fortunately we have not uh you know had to uh have a full-on um you know, emergency uh, right. related to that, and hopefully that day never comes. Uh, but certainly, we want to be prepared when, the, when, and if that does happen. But let's let's all pray that that never. That well, day I know never I know schools school safety has been a hot topic in the sheriff uh, race, so I think that both both candidates have a great plan to to address it going forward. So we got the school resource officer added. That's great news. Uh, we also discussed, uh, you know, there's a couple of subdivisions that are getting, you know, basically final plat approval, and so when you see that. Chad's more of an expert when it comes to the planning and development kind of stuff. <laughs> expert, He's, I don't know about that. Well, you served on the planning commission. I mean, you're you're a more knowledgeable about those things. I'm I'm not ashamed to say. So, well, final plat approval. Kind of tell people what that means. Man, he put me on the spot here. I mean, we. I mean, it's sitting. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. So, final plat approval is essentially you're saying that uh, what the developer built is the same as what he proposed he was going to build when we approved the initial plat, and so that that's all it is. If he he put as long as it pretty much meets what he told you he was going to build, if it's going to be like I think the one we we uh, we approved last night, or excuse me, on Tuesday night was uh, for the Weatherby West Phase One subdivision. 
well, I think it's been renamed to Scott Meadows now. But anyway, I think they're building eleven. Uh, they're building. They're building some houses over there, and just make sure that everything is the same. And, and, and the discussion we had was is why they wanted to to go ahead and get this approved is because there was a hill that mm-hmm. uh, they were. I think he called it a Category Four hill or whatever, where the water would run down pretty pretty heavy and maybe possibly flood some of the backyard. So what he asked us to do is to uh, move some of those homes on the other side and give them a little more room to address the water situation. And it's really, it's, it's something that I think people have learned more and more about, especially, you know, in Hernando, we have no shortage of drainage issues, stormwater issues. Drainage issues? Yeah, oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I, I definitely hear it. I hear it every week. And it's because of... Is Notting Hill paved Some now? of these... Notting Hill's halfway paved. We're halfway done. Um, so we've got a little bit more to go there. Uh, another entrance, a few more roads. But to get back to drainage... When we talk about that, you have some neighborhoods here in Hernando that are 20 plus years old. And I just, I don't know how much of a fine tooth comb there was then of engineering stormwater drainage and some of those things. We definitely have more resources now than we did back then. We have more positions looking at that. We have independent positions looking at it, not just necessarily a developer's engineer, but the city has their own engineers to look at it. And to you know, add context to it. Well, so. I think what's important too is, is is addressing those issues up front while the development is still being developed. Because I have, like in my area, I have Deer Creek, and I think at that period of time in the city of Hernando, it was growing so fast, so rapidly. They just didn't have the staff to go out and look at these and make sure they were built to the, you know, what the plan said, and make sure the water flow was correct. And and there's several issues that we've had to address uh, in that subdivision with. Uh, NCRS grants to, to control the, the ditch over there. Mm-hmm. My buddy Mitch Lemon, he, he worked really hard to get uh, a ditch behind his house repaired and corrected. And then we also had one a little further up in Deer Creek. So And we've, um, and we've had the same thing. We just approved one of those over, uh, if you live on Heritage Cove or you live on Mason Drive in Ward 6, we've got one of those uh, NRCS grant that's going to be executed over the next six months. And, you know, Heritage Cove has been there since before Walmart was there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's well, been there a yeah, long um, time. So they have erosion issues from, you know, the development into around the Short Fork Creek. And, you know, and, so that'll be addressed by that. We've used those all over town. You know, people uh, have probably noticed the uh, Kirkendall Park there. All those trees were taken down. You see that white rock that was done with the NCRS grant. The uh, next to Evolve daycare yep. there where we, 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 we uh, got that ditch like fixed. Magnolia Drive or something. Yeah, right, right there uh, by the Evolve uh, daycare. Um, she she had some issues with erosion on her fence, and so we got NCRS grant to help repair that. I hate, I hated to lose the trees at Kirkendall Park because they did provide a lot of shade for folks that, you know, were running on the track or whatever. I wasn't running on the track, but some people run on the track. Um, you walk on the track? I have walked on that track. I think for like a fun run or something like that with my kids. <laughs> Kids are running. I was fast walking or something. Well, like you that. used to go to the gym with me, but I, that's been. Man, I know. I, I, just, I text the address because I think you must have forgotten where it is. Uh, I, I, you know, I just hey, no excuses there. It's not not showing up. Not showing up. They do have a daycare, so you can drop your kid off. And they do club four. That's got the, right. You know, free. We we got to quit giving away free ads here, Chad. We got to quit. We got to. Well, we we got to get, get more twenty five listeners if we're going to start selling ads. <laughs> we got more than that. We got we got we got we got all kind of listeners. We got all kind of That's listeners. Right. We love That's our right. listeners. We appreciate y'all tuning in with us. Uh, what else we got on the agenda? Uh, the, la- the, the, the last planning thing is, is that uh, I think there's a developer who's developing at the end of Whitfield uh, Drive yeah. over there. He's putting a storage. Uh, what do you call that? A uh, uh, we, Self-contained, yeah. Where you, you park storage. RVs and things like that. He's, he's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, trying to say, oh, we we, uh, we uh, approved the insurance plan for the city employees with another mm-hmm. decrease, eight um, percent so. decrease. So, I think the the thing out of that was, uh, or the news out of that was that it, it puts uh, the insurance rate back to twenty fifteen fiscal year levels. That counts a pay raise for the employees. I mean, that's one way to look at it for sure. That's definitely one way to look at it. And I think that's, you know, it's more money in their pocket. I think it's more, it frees up money for the city sure. as well because sure. the city the city has a portion of that insurance that they pay. Ultimately, it comes down to just good health yeah. of the city employees. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, you're able to leverage that and say we haven't had any kind of major, um, you know, health issues among the 185 to 200 employees that the city has. Um, I think that was a big part of it. But United Healthcare, you know, continues to be the coverage provider for the for the city for health insurance. Sure. We talked about the using some money from the tree mitigation account to pay for the uh, landscaping at Audi Audi Baldwin Park. Yep, Audi Baldwin Park. Yep, I, think, I think it's about two thousand dollars. So, yeah, that, I asked the Compel, about that. Compel Church put that in the account there. 
I think it was somebody, it was a different developer. It was not Compel Church. Uh, Compel put uh, several trees on, I don't know how many trees they've put out there on their property line. Um, but they have they have planted a number of trees. But uh, Oh, well, I'm thinking about, about it, and, and I guess this show won't be out till Monday, but you do guys are doing a ribbon cutting there on Saturday. Is that correct? Yeah, so it'll be, that That will have Oh, is that next Saturday the, or is this no, Saturday? No, it's the 22nd. It's okay. the 22nd. Yeah. I think they've got a ribbon cutting going on. So, But they... Um, are they holding Addie service Baldwin there? Park, uh, not just yet. Okay. Not just yet. Uh, Addie Baldwin Park uh, will get about a $2,000 landscaping facelift there from the tree mitigation fund. It's 2000 of the $2,400 in that fund. So we're basically exhausting that entire fund uh, to improve one of the parks. We've had some we've had some landscaping improvements done at um yeah, at yeah. the Gale Center and some other things. Yeah. Well, and so people, so they know the tree mitigation fund is like when a developer goes into a, a piece of property and, t- and cuts the trees down to, to develop, uh, they can either come back and plant the trees or they can put money into this account uh, for us to use to, to mitigate the, the loss of the trees. So that, that's what that is. And most people, most developers usually end up planting the trees back uh, yeah. I think it's cheaper to do it that way, but yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, what else we got on the? Uh, agenda uh, do you want to talk Chad? about the uh, the animal shelter change order we did? Yeah. So th- those were uh, it's about a what ten thousand dollars. Yeah, it was so for some landscaping order. in front, and I think some key fobs. Uh, so for they can, entrance. Yeah, entrance is about ten thousand um, dollars. That's all covered by donations that people have. Yes, that's right. You know. But the I think the question came about as to... Yeah, I asked the mayor, you know, because it, it was my understanding that we were going to borrow some funds to construct that building, and we learned that I guess we may not be able to do that. Yeah, so just, you know, Municipal Finance 101, right? Mayors cannot just go to a local bank and say, hey, the city needs a million dollars to do this project. Can you give us a rate? You know, it has to go through a bond process where the the board would have to vote to uh, take out a bond uh, to pay for whatever the expenses are specifically um, or to, or to have a general obligation bond. You think we got to explain what a bond is for some people? Well, yeah, I mean so you're basically you're you're borrowing money based on the on the credit of the city. Yeah, but pe- based- people people make investments in municipal bonds. So yes. municipal bonds are just an investment. So somebody may invest a million dollars or whatever uh, and then we, you know, a city, Hernando, any of these cities work with bond companies to mm-hmm. purchase a bond at a certain per, a certain interest rate and it's a simply yeah simply alone yeah just like somebody gets a mortgage cities just get they get bonds typically so. and that's the way that that's one of the ways that cities can can borrow funds there's another there's other ways that they can yeah, do it, and then you got different types just, of bonds you got general obligation bond or geo bond you have a revenue bond where you're borrowing against revenue you're making things like that so. but cities can't just go down to the local bank or go to the local banks and say hey we need this money can you can we borrow some you sure it doesn't really work it doesn't really work that way oh, that's what we were i thought that, i'm just saying that's that's the way it works so oh, okay so as we look at the as we look at the animal shelter the city has had um an influx or an unexpected influx of revenue from sales tax which i think was budgeted at 5.35 million it's most likely going to come in around 5.65 or 5.7 million um just depending on what these last two months hold so there, there should be you know some some additional funds there um, that were unexpected. Uh, additionally, they have some building permits that have come in, and some fire inspection fees have come in. The school, the school, because of yeah, the, the construction the, the, of Hernando the, the, High School. Yeah. So um, the Kane Schools gave us quite a bit of money there, and because um, it's a large footprint, it was something that wasn't necessarily expected to be realized in this budget year. So, well, and some, some of, of that we'll, we we will put back out to pay people to go out there and look at it, and, and I think we're paying a private person to go over those plans because they're so extensive. Aren't, aren't, aren't right? I mean, also is not mm-hmm. looking at by himself i don't think right so there there are some unexpected revenues there that could cover part of that expense there may still need to be money that's that you know that's that's borrowed the animal shelter falls under the uh police department budget um so you know if there if there's expenses that have been cut from the you know police budget potentially i know that at one point there was a, a sally port that was uh that was thrown out there as a i thought a we built a sally addition. port we haven't built a sally port yet we, we needed been, it two years ago we had to have we, it. well we still don't have one. Oh. so it's been huh. put in the budget but it hadn't been realized either but um that would be another thing that would uh you know potentially be a you wouldn't necessarily a savings, but it's something where, you know, departmentally, there's funds available. So what what you're saying is it, it may not it may be a situation where we don't have to borrow the money potentially, and we're, and we're finding the money in other places to pay the cost. Right, and normally what you would see is, and, and every city's different. Some cities do one large budget amendment towards the end of the year, 
where if there's money that has had to be spent on different things that weren't expected, you know, the, the severe weather that we had on Father's Day, you know, that's probably going to be around $100,000. I think the mayor said 145000 145000 Yeah, that's something that's unexpected. You can't necessarily put that in, in the budget, severe storm damage that may or may not happen. It's going to have to come out of a contingency or a rainy day fund or whatever. But I, I say all that to say there are cities that quarterly do budget amendments, which to me is more of a a real time what is going on in the city and that it's something I would I would like to see in the future uh, as we go through it we do get the aldermen do get monthly revenue and exp- expense uh, reports that are kind of like P&Ls uh, in the private sector or profit, profit and loss statements ENR's expense and revenue report we're able to see you know where are we percentage wise for payroll insurance? Yeah, well, one and so thing, on Ben. So one thing I'm, I'm and I don't know where you. I hadn't really talked to you about this. Uh, I'm I'm going to talk to the mayor and some of the other aldermen as well. I think we need to adopt our budget by line item. So so when these when these things like this happen, we know that money's being moved and and where it's yeah. coming from and so forth. Just to be more transparent. I'm not saying anything. Anybody did anything wrong? Or anything. I just no, I think no, no. I think it's just a way to be transparent. I, I, everybody knows I'm, I'm the jail administrator in, in DeSoto County. We are constantly doing budget amendments because our budget is adopted by line item. So I can't just move a hundred thousand dollars from, you know, the inmate, the inmate, uh, food budget to the, to the car budget without getting permission to do that. So I think that's just, that's just another layer of accountability to prevent anything from ever happening. And I think, I think part of it's just coming from the, from the growth of the city, the growth of the budget, you know, some of those things are have most of those things have happened organically. It wasn't because of you know tax increases or anything like that. The city budget's just grown as the city has grown. I read you, know, so why you, you, why you, a, you mentioned tax increase. I read something the other day that, that Doc has voted for like six tax increases since he's been on the board. Did he do that when you were there? No, I think that was a 2017 increase. Uh, six times that was voted on to pay for a second ambulance in the city. Oh. And the staff a second ambulance in the city. I, I think that's where that came from. Oh, okay. okay. I didn't. I didn't go and look through all the, the footnotes and the all the stuff. But I think that's what that's that that would be my guess there. But election season is uh it, it, we're in full swing election season here. I'm sure folks are ready for it to be, for it to come and go. The Republican primary, like we said, is coming up on August eighth. That leads us to our uh, guest that we're bringing on here, Senator Chris McDaniel, a Republican from Ellisville, Jones County. I think he's pretty adamant he's a conservative Republican. He is a conservative Republican. He was adamant uh, about that. And, you know, is he no, a conservative no, fighter, no, too? Yeah, no, yeah, and I mean, I think that that's a lot of people that live in DeSoto County. So we've got Chris McDaniel joining us here, uh, and we are bringing him on now to discuss the lieutenant governor campaign. And we're moving into our interview portion Senator Chris McDaniel, here we go. If you, if you want to start, just kind of tell us uh, your background. We're, we're, and I think you're from Ellisville, Jones County, Forest County area. So just talk about how you how you become a state senator. I guess. Well, goodness, that's a great question. I, uh, I never thought I would be in politics. I thought I was going to be a judge, maybe one day. But uh, it started, I guess, back in. Uh, my dad was a professor, and I grew up in Ellisville, small town there in um, in Jones County. And went one thing after the other, loved basketball, loved sports, uh, followed that bouncing ball through college. I played at JCJC and then at William Carey and uh, decided uh, law school. I uh, did that at Ole Miss, had a great time, uh, was honored to be selected as a federal law clerk at a United States District Court uh, after that. Spent two years there. They only allow you to stay two years. It's kind of akin to a, a surgical residency or something like that. And then to a, a firm. Uh, in Laurel, Mississippi. And uh, from there, uh, you know, one thing led to the other. And I ran for state Senate and won that. And uh, I've been fighting for conservatives ever since. So I know that's kind of a condensed version. I'll be happy to answer any details. But um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been doing this a while now. So I, I think for a lot of people in DeSoto County, they may not know a whole lot about, you know, Jones County and Ellisville and kind of the Pine Belt, um, if you will, down there. What is it like there? Uh, what is what is the uh, you know kind of the economy like? What are y'all seeing in that part of the state? Kind of compared to up here in uh, Desoto County, yeah. more of a Memphis suburb, I guess. Well, you know, it's something. It's uh, in many ways, it's very similar. That is the the, the type of people. I'll, I've always loved Desoto County. I have an uncle. I, my wife has an uncle that lives up there, and we were traveling up there uh, twenty five years ago, back when it wasn't quite as developed. You know, you might remember those times when you didn't have nearly as much. Uh, as many buildings or commercial buildings out there as you do now. And we'd go up there, and the people are very much like the people of Jones County. They're hardworking. They're uh, naturally conservative. Or they're Christian. Uh, they make up some of the best people in this state. So I've always enjoyed being there, and, and the past races have always done very well there because uh, I really like the people. 
Economy-wise, presently, DeSoto County looks really strong. Naturally, there's always room for improvement. We always want to see growth and prosperity. At Jones, likewise, we have a good, diverse economy. We've got transformer plants. We've got a GE plant down there. Uh, we've got a lot of different things uh, happening to keep our people employed, and that's incredibly important because right now in this state, we need jobs. You know, um, Mississippi for far too long has relied on public monies and handouts. Uh, our people don't want handouts. We don't need handouts. We need jobs in this state, and Jones County is a good model for that. We have a, a good, a diverse, vibrant economy there, uh, very similar to the one in DeSoto. And you kind of some of the things you're saying kind of reminds me of uh, another interview we had with our, our state auditor Shad White. Um, you know, he came from small town, you know, South Mississippi, and you know had parents that you know weren't necessarily well off or upper class or anything like. He kind of pulled himself up by his bootstraps. You know, went to went to uh, you know get advanced degrees and all that kind of stuff. It, but you feel like that's kind of the story of Mississippi, I guess, for a lot of people, right? Just working hard. I, I really do. I really do. You know, you think about my dad. Uh, well, so I lost him a few years ago, back in 99, but he was my hero, and uh, he was the first person in his family to get a college education, and uh, he was able to attend Rice and then Southern Miss and be a professor, and uh, because he took that step up so many years ago, that uh, it enabled me to take some steps up as well, but we're all, if we, we should never lose track of who we really are foundationally. We're just Mississippians, and uh, we're the best people on the earth, and uh, I'm very grateful uh, for the foundation that he gave me. Because a lot of children just don't have that foundation, so I was incredibly blessed to be from a small town. Incredibly blessed to, you know, he had me, he had us in church every time the doors opened. You know, it was one of those kind of situations, and so those lessons never leave you in life. And um, he taught me the value of hard work. And then I lost him back in uh, 1999, and I was uh, it was a traffic accident, and I was there with him when he died. I I laid right there with him and told him goodbye, and it was. Uh, most uh, devastating thing that, that ever occurred to me. And I tell people all the time that I died uh, right there on that road with him that night. And um, but, but when I fought through it, it took me a couple of years to fight through it. Uh, his lessons always came back to me. You know, it was always about fight for your principles, believe in yourself, be strong, be courageous. And he always said, we're, we're here to be salt and light if only for a short period of time. And so I tried to take those principles that he taught me. And I've, I've tried to do that throughout my career in politics. And I've done the very best I could. I just hope he's happy with me. So, yeah, Smelltown, Mississippi is the very best. And um, I, was, I was very fortunate to have a great mom and daddy. I still have my mom, and uh, I'll be calling her here in a few minutes after this for sure. Well, it definitely sounds like there was a lasting impact there, and I uh, appreciate you sharing that part uh, of your story with us. So getting back to the, the campaign for lieutenant governor, what do you feel like uh, makes you – more qualified than than our current lieutenant governor to uh, to be elected by the folks of Mississippi. It's a question of philosophy. You know, you can't just put the R behind your name and pretend to be a Republican, but then not fight for Republican values. And that's the way he's been uh, his whole life. Uh, you might remember Kirk Fordyce was the first governor we had in the state since Reconstruction. I was young then, but I uh, fought for Kirk Fordyce. I voted for Kirk Fordyce. Delbert Hoseman endorsed Ray Mabus, for goodness sakes. Ray Mabus, a, a notorious liberal who ended up being a Barack Obama appointee to the Mabus Secretary. So it's been on and on. When when Delbert does finally get to the Senate here in the state, we have 16 Democrats there, only 16. He appointed 13 of the 16 to powerful chairmanship. He has followed us. We, we tried to eliminate the income tax, for goodness sakes. The governor wanted it. The House wanted it. Most of the Senate wanted it. Delbert Hoseman blocked us. He's blocked all of the reforms we tried to implement. In fact, in fact, there was a bill we had that stopped men from playing in women's sports. That's a good bill. I voted for that bill. That bill had other language in it. It, it would have also killed men from being in women's restrooms and locker rooms. Delbert Hoseman stripped that language out of the bill. He has catered to the left on every issue. He made sure the ballot initiative process was re-implemented. He killed term limit legislation. He killed pro-Second Amendment legislation. He killed a recall of, uh, process legislation. Even the right to die bill that we had. You know, remember COVID, how crazy everything got, how ridiculous the rules got? People in hospitals were literally dying alone without their moms, without their dads, their husbands, their wives, dying by themselves. I had a bill that you didn't have to die by yourself. It would have mandated a visitor there for that dying person. Delbert Hoseman killed that bill. Guys, it's not just me saying this, okay? I'll wrap up here. The American Conservative Union scores these states every year. 
It scores us based on our votes. Right now, Mississippi has the second most liberal legislature in the southeastern United States. To put that in perspective, Michigan. Michigan has a more conservative legislature than Mississippi. One man's called for that. It's not, it's not Tate Reeves. One man has. That's Delbert Hoseman. So how will I be different? I'm a conservative. I'm going to fight to end the woke culture. I'm going to fight to eliminate the income tax. I'm going to fight everything Joe Biden does. I'm not going to appoint Democrats to chairman of committees. We could not be more different, Delbert and I. But the, the contrast is clear. And we're asking for our chance to prove that conservatives can govern and govern better than Democrats. All right, and uh, so you made that fairly clear. That that, that that's uh, you know certainly some some strong uh, statements there, and I think that you know we've had uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman on as well. You know that he's done his uh, you know his pitch and his his uh, campaign um, promises as well that he's put out there. Uh, let's talk about the state income tax and yeah. abolishing uh, the state income tax. When we talk about that, what is that replaced by? I guess like what what would be the plan for it? It's it goes away. Uh, it's it's yeah. great. Like everybody, I think most people would say less taxes. That sounds great. More money in my pocket every week. That's right. That's right. But where where how does it get replaced, and how do we balance the budget from there? Well, Delbert Hoseman purports himself to be a thinking man, but he would if he were honest about this position, he would have explained it. He seems to argue that we won't have the money to make a difference. It's not a sincere argument. Just 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, we ran this government on $4.6 billion. So keep that in mind. Now we're approaching $8 billion. That's almost double what it was just 10 years ago. So we have a lot of wiggle room there. But this is the way it works. What you do is you find a number somewhere between 4.6 and 8, a comfortable number where goods and services, that is what the taxpayers still expect, can be delivered efficiently and effectively, right? You find that number. You then put a spending cap there. You index for inflation, and then you watch next year's revenue. When that revenue hits that trigger, the income tax is reduced by a point, so on and so forth until it's completely gone. No draconian cuts necessary. No other taxes have to be increased or raised. We asked him to present that bill. I had that bill. He killed that bill. It's a common, logical phase-out based on economic revenue triggers. Indexed for inflation. It's the easiest thing in the world. Americans for tax reform. Grover Norquist supported it. Every conservative think tank in Washington supported it. Every conservative think tank in Jackson supported it. One man blocked it. Delbert Hoseman. What is your position on the grocery tax? I know that that's something that I think a lot of Mississippians would like to see uh, either at least lowered or reduced. What, what, do, what do you think about that? It needs to be eliminated. We're one of three states that still fully taxes groceries. And I think it's unfair fundamentally to hurt the working people of the state because the grocery tax is regressive. It's it punishment on the poor because people have to eat. I don't like the idea of taxing necessities. Now, the cities will argue that some of their money will disappear at that rate. That's an easy thing to fix. All we have to do is increase the diversion of sales taxes we already have down to the cities and make up that difference. It gives the people a break. It gives the cities more money for operation, and that money can be spent locally as opposed to in Jackson, where we have more efficiency and more accountability for the expenditures. The sales tax, I'm sorry, the grocery tax needs to be eliminated. Absolutely. So more local dollars where the people who are elected locally can make more decisions, because certainly on a local level, you know more than uh, yes. folks in Jackson, right? I think that's a pretty uh, well-respected that principle. Yes, sir. A cornerstone of conservatism, of republicanism, is local government knows best, right? And the reason they know best is, as a person who works in Jackson, I don't want Washington, D.C. in my business. If the municipalities of the state, I'm pretty sure, don't want Jackson in their day-to-day business. They're better able to handle the everyday government of those municipalities than we are. Our job is to make sure they have the resources they need and then back out of the way and let them run their cities. That's the most efficient form of government. If they mess it up, they'll be accountable by the, uh, by the uh, taxpayers. But it's not our place to micromanage these cities. I have a real problem with that. Senator, at the MML, you spoke, I think, about uh, maybe moving the local and privates back to, the, to not requiring some kind of state legislation. Or is that still your position, I think? Isn't that what you mentioned? It, it, it is. And I'm going to tell you for that same principle, right? So every year, the cities come up and they have to beg somebody to do what they already should have the authority to do. I mean, I know city leaders don't like coming to Jackson and begging some local and private chairman to do something they should already be empowered to. It's not good government. It's not fair government. Just give the cities that discretion. 
the taxpayers will hold everybody accountable. If the city fathers or leaders abuse it, naturally the taxpayers will speak out. But I don't think they will abuse it. I trust them more than I trust some Senate committee chair in public, local, and private. I I prefer that money to be there. Yeah, so just uh, just last year we we tried a uh, a local and private here a referendum and we we did ours a little different. We required a four year uh, referendum every four years. I think you support that in the legislature. We appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. The thing is, a lot of times I will vote against local options only because I don't think it's our decision to make. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they shouldn't be coming begging us for that. They just give them the authority. And let us handle other matters. And uh, it, it always frustrated me that every year we take up time micromanaging city decisions. I just, that's not the role of government. I think one of the biggest things here in DeSoto County, you know, whether it's Hernando, DeSoto County, whatever it is, is the I-55 expansion and, yeah. and the Commerce Street exit and just some of the things that we deal with here. We've, we've obviously had the commercial growth here. We've got more traffic up here. And I think it's a pain point. For, I, I know my, my wife has a drive into to Germantown, Tennessee every day to, to she's a, she's an audiologist up there. So she's got to go see patients every day. You know, I'm an outside sales rep. I've got to go out and, and see customers, you know, all over. So I, we spend a lot of time on those interstates and the traffic congestion is just, it's pretty, it's pretty stressful for folks that have to go to work every day like that. Where do you stand on just kind of these larger infrastructure projects that, that are, you know, kind of clamping down on economic, economic development? Oh, it's a great question. Infrastructure is a natural and proper function of government. And so what we should do is prioritize our spending to make sure that infrastructure is rock solid, complete for economic development purposes. Good roads, good bridges, the ability of folks to travel to and fro without congestion, those are big components of an active economy. So absolutely, we should rededicate ourselves to making sure we have the best bridges, the best roads in the country. But we do that by prioritizing our expenditures. We can't be out there throwing money at every weird project when we should be focused on the projects that really matter the most. Jobs, infrastructure, those are the two biggies. And I think the other thing that's really paramount here in, in DeSoto County is education. Largest uh, school district in the state, almost 40,000 students, um, which is which represents almost 10% of the students in, in the entire state. And we've got a lot of bedroom communities here in DeSoto County, a lot of uh, parents who are concerned about kind of what's next for education here in Mississippi. What's your take on uh, you know public education here in the state and, uh, and what direction it's headed? Yeah, my, uh, my wife is a school teacher. Her mother-in-law was a school teacher for 32 years. My father was a school a professor, a school teacher for 32 years. So public education is something I've been part of my entire life. Both my sons right now are in public school. So naturally, I want to see them succeed. And in the areas where they are succeeding, we have to protect those areas and make sure they continue to achieve greatness. In the areas where they're failing, we have to find new creative ways to get those kids out from those trapped districts. But now, I'm really proud of the Soto County schools. They're amazing. One of my schools in my district is Petal, and Petal has another outstanding school district, and Jones County does as well. Those schools follow successful models, and we need to make sure these other schools follow those models, and we need also to encourage parental involvement. One of the big concerns my wife has had over the years is she only gets those kids a few hours a day. If the parents aren't actively involved in that child's life, it becomes really, really difficult, right? So I wish parents had a better understanding of their role and importance in education. You can't just force them off to someone else to to educate. Parents have to play a role. And if you combine the cultural aspects uh, with the the reality aspects, the real aspects of life, I think we can find successful districts. I really do. Senator, I've I've been following your career back, you know, I think when you announced for Senate, and I, I thought you have always done a great job on social media. So how, how do how do you how do you think that is that helped you, or what do you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you've all I know you do the the Facebook lives and different things, and I, I think that's really really good. How, how have you thought that over the years has helped you? And 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 a lot. I think you're the first one to really use social media to 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 you know help your political career. Yes, sir. Uh, what it was is the um, what I learned is the same thing Donald Trump learned when he was running. When you take strong positions against the establishment. They're going to attack, and they're going to ridicule, and they're going to make fun of you, and they're going to call you all the things in the world. And it so happens that they have some good friends in the mainstream press that help them. The mainstream press is controlled by moderates and liberals and Democrats. We know that. And so when they get a chance to attack conservatives, they spend a lot of time and effort smearing half-truths, lies here, lies there. What social media does, it allows me to contact people directly and get around the lies and the half-truths. I have town halls. I answer questions. I open myself up 
to the people so they can ask me directly the tough questions. And even the people that don't like me, if they want to attack me, I open myself up for that as well. So, yeah, to that extent, it's been a game changer. And Donald Trump figured that out as well because if you if our only source of news is the mainstream media, you're getting a slanted uh, view of reality every single day. And so social media gives us a chance to get around that. And I've enjoyed it very, very much. And I think that, you know, certainly we want to try to balance things out as much as we can in, in terms of claims that are made during campaigns, all that sort of thing. We we asked the current lieutenant governor, you know, about being called Delbert the Democrat and that sort of thing. So we want to give you an opportunity as well to sort of just respond to some of the claims that, that you haven't shown up for DeSoto County. I think that's the one, if you have any kind of social media in, in DeSoto County, you've probably seen that ad at some point. Chris McDaniel didn't show up for DeSoto County for the I-55. So wh- where do you think that came from, and kind of what's your response to that that kind of claim? Well, it's, it's really, it goes back to half-truths and lies. I have fought for DeSoto County every day in that sense because DeSoto County has always fought for me. I believe in the people of DeSoto County because they are conservative and they are Republican. So he tries to cite an example. I can only assume that was a day I may have been working somewhere. I may have been downstairs. I may have had to go to the restroom. Maybe I missed one vote. That's not a fair representation of what I've done for DeSoto County. I'll give you an example. If you serve in a body like you guys have served, there are days your children have stomach viruses. There have been days I thought of a bill accident. There have been days my head was splitting. In other words, you will occasionally have to miss a vote or two. That doesn't mean you're against the Soto County, for goodness sakes. It just means something may have happened. Why not understand the full context sure. of the attack ad? Because every attack ad he has is – I'll give you another example. He's claiming statewide that I wasn't there when we voted on the library porn bill for schools. Remember that? Yes. That's why this big hit. He's saying I wasn't there. Just go check the record. I, I voted yes on it. I'm right there in black and white. Voting yes. So what you're going to find is Delbert can't defend his record. It's a record of liberalism. So he doesn't necessarily talk about my record. He talks about things like 10 years ago, a campaign I had, or he talks about a missed vote, or he talks about the fact that something else. There's never a direct attack on my conservatism because he knows I am conservative. So that's the distinction. So no, I'm going to stand for the Soto County. I encourage people to do this. Just go do your own research. He's got $4 million. He's called me everything but a child of God over the last two weeks. Go do your own research, and you'll see. You'll see the truth. Well, so let's let's put all the politics aside. We've talked about the race. We've talked about your, your positions on a lot of things. We appreciate your time. We know there's only so much of it every day, so we certainly appreciate you, you coming on with us. But So let's, politics aside, when it's, when it's the weekend, whenever you get a few minutes to yourself and you're not campaigning, you're not, you know, what do you like to do just to, you know, kind of, you know, let your hair down, so to speak, um, and enjoy yourself? Oh, my sons. My sons. I've got a yeah, 11-year-old and a 16-year-old, and they're growing up so fast, and I try to embrace every single second. And uh, it breaks my heart. Even today, I'm down here campaigning, and uh, my oldest is up in South Carolina playing baseball. His team made the uh, World Series up there. My youngest, his team made the World Series over in Texas. And my heart is broken because I'm, I'm, in, I'm only a few days left of the campaign, and I couldn't get out there. So what do I do? I'm a, I'm a dad. Uh, just like my dad. And so um, I am absolutely in love with my boys and I spend my time with them, whatever they want to do. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When you become a dad, all your hobbies kind of disappear. You, uh, their hobbies are now your hobbies. Uh, now it's baseball. It'll be fishing. And uh, it's like when I bring a plate of food in. I, the food's for me. They eat it all, right? So all, all my food's their food now. So, um, yeah, man, I just spend time with them. I, I don't have them long and I want to spend every second I can with them. Chris, let me ask you this. So my wife has a hard time with this. And, and when somebody negative campaigning against you, how, how does that affect your family? How do y'all deal with that? Because you're getting it 10 times worse than I ever, ever would, would, would uh, it, imagine. It's devastating. It's devastating. People don't realize. Like, it's one thing if Delbert focuses on a vote I made or on a policy position I hold. I can explain that to my kids, right? I can say, son, this is why he's doing this. It's not okay. But when he calls me you know, a liar, when he, when he accuses me of all these terrible things, it's tragic. My kids have cried real tears. My wife has cried real tears. But folks, I'm going to tell you guys something, though. The established order in this country doesn't care who they hurt. They'll do anything to hold on to power. They don't care what they have to say, what dirt they have to sling. 
they'll do anything. We saw that with Trump, and you're seeing it now. So, yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, how do you tell your 11-year-old that daddy's not X, Y, and Z? And he's with tears in his eyes. So if you hear frustration in my voice, yeah, it's really, really hard. It, I, I hate every second of that. I really do. It's not fair. It's not fair for the family. I guess as we're wrapping up here, I, Chad may have one more question for you. But that, uh, last question I have for you, and we, we do this with everybody. Mm-hmm. Folks in uh, DeSoto County on August 8th, they're going to they're gonna head to the polls. They're going to get in that voting booth, and they're going to need to bubble in a name. What is the most important thing they need to know about Chris McDaniel before they cast their vote? I have a history of fighting for you. I have fought for conservative principles and values my entire life. I'm the highest rated conservative in the Senate. I've been endorsed by Donald Trump. I've been endorsed by Rush Limbaugh. I've been endorsed by Sean Hannity. I have a long record of conservative accomplishments. Even in this race, I've been endorsed by CPAC, the American Conservative Union, even Ted Nugent, for goodness sakes. That's a great endorsement to pick up, by the way. So um, my whole life, I've been fighting. I was born to fight, and I promise you, the Democrats are a threat to this country. We're not going to award them. We're not going to reach across the aisle to them. We're not going to promote them to chairmanships like Delbert did. We're going to stand in Mississippi. We're going to hold the line. We're going to get rid of the income tax, the grocery tax. We're going to put an end to this woke culture, guys. I tell you right now, these uh, professors brainwashing these kids, they're going to find new jobs. These public school teachers that talk about sexual orientation and uh, 55 genders, they're going to find new jobs. Mississippi is not the place for that nonsense, but we have to fight for what's left of this country. I'll do that if you'll give me the opportunity. Let me ask you one more question, if you don't mind. So I know like Ronald Reagan was famous for having a great relationship with Tip O'Neill, the Democratic Speaker of the House at the time. How do you, if, if you're successful in this campaign, how do you how do you come back and fix some of these relationships like with the center England on the coast? I saw, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of his little his, his yeah. based on how, how do you how do you fix those relationships, Senator? Well, two questions there. Um, as to the issue of Democrats, you know, Tip O'Neill was a Democrat. But the Democrats in the 80s, 70s, and 60s, those are the Democrats of Roosevelt and Kennedy. These Democrats today are radicalized. I have no intention of uh, reaching across the aisle to any of those Democrats. Their party has become dangerous. As to fellow members of my party, I respect them. I like them. Um, it's unfortunate that sometimes volunteers do things that riles people up, and I get that. And some of those things are inappropriate. But I have no hard feelings to any of those men or women, and I don't expect them to be loyal to me. All I expect is that they follow the Republican platform. That's all. If they will follow the platform and stand by it and let's fight together, we're not going to worry about these days. We're going to move forward to a brighter day. So I'm not going to hold grudges. I'm not going to punish these men or women. As long as they uh, fight like Republicans and fight like conservatives, I consider them friends. All right, Senator, we, we thank you so much for your time. You've been very generous with it, uh, very gracious to uh, to grant us an interview here. And and folks at DeSoto County, that well, you've heard from both uh, lieutenant governor candidates now, uh, we appreciate having Senator Chris McDaniel here with us on the Boardroom Podcast. Senator, anything else you'd like to add? Well, I just would ask that people uh, do their research, don't believe all the attack ads, and just please consider voting for me on August the 8th. And uh, tell your friends and family. Uh, and I promise you this, I uh, I will stand by every word of my conservative record. I will stand by every promise that I've made. And if you have any questions or any comments, my cell phone is 601-580-5833. That's 601-580-5833. If I don't answer, just text me. I'll call you right back. And uh, you'll be up here tomorrow speaking in Walls, I believe, at the, at the fire station. So we'll, they have the opportunity to see you tomorrow. So. Absolutely. I think so. I'm looking forward to it. That should be fun. What do you think the Red Sox got? I know you're a Red Sox fan. What, what's, what, what's, what are they looking like this year? It's not good. It's not good at all. <laughs> I, I, always try to, I always try to end all our interviews with a laugh, so that's what I was trying to do there. Well, you know, it's, it's crazy. On, on the National League side, I love the Chicago Cubs, right? And right. so I grew up watching Ryan Sandberg at second base and thought he was the best thing ever. But I've been a Red Sox fan for a long time. That's my American League team. And this year, I have the unfortunate news for you. They both stink. Both those teams are just awful. That's right. So uh, it's going to be a tough baseball season. Bring on football. Let's do that. Yes, sir. Well, thank thank you for being on the show, and we appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the chance. Y'all take care. All right. right, That was Senator Chris McDaniel uh, joining us, uh, Lieutenant Governor candidate, Republican candidate. Conservative Republican candidate. I'm sure he would want me to include He's that. He's conservative. Sure. He is conservative. Uh, he is running against our current incumbent, uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Uh, that primary election is coming up on August the 8th. 
Uh, so we appreciate him joining us. We appreciate both the lieutenant governor yeah, candidates joining us. I guess the I, podcast I, is getting pretty big. Well, here. I, we got I, statewide man, candidates I, coming I on think, here. You know, I was trying to. I don't think there's been another program that's had both of them on. Um, so that, that shows you, I guess, the outreach we got. Ben, you're popular, man. I don't know about me. I know that uh, they always want to come on to hear all of uh, Chad's dad jokes. Um, so we might have to call. I don't uh, Chad dad jokes. All 25, 30 downloads. We're doing good, man. <laughs> We're doing pretty good. But listen, folks, we appreciate y'all uh, listening to us again. Uh, this is Alderman Ben Piper. I'm Alderman Chad Wicker. Thank you for tuning in to the Boardroom Podcast. Oh, oh, we, the we, next we, episode yeah. that we'll have will be uh, with the all of the candidates for war or I'm sorry, ward for uh, District, District Five, five Super. District 5 Supervisor Robert Foster, uh, Jack Scott, and Jim Robinson will have all three of those candidates on. In all the studio. Republican candidates, yeah. uh, they'll be in studio. Joining us here at the SRP Studios here on Caffey Street, the heart of Ward 4. You hear that beat? The, hit, the heartbeat of Ward Yeah, that's, 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 what the, that's what they call it here, folks. <laughs> and uh, so we'll have those three candidates on, um, and we will have that uh, episode for you just before the Republican primary election. So we will have that out uh, late July, early August. So stay tuned for that. We appreciate y'all listening in, and we will uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you for joining us for an episode of the Boardroom Podcast, presented by People for a Better DeSoto County. I hope we were able to inform you and give you some additional insight on how your local government works. Stay engaged. Local government is the closest to the people. Ah!